Welcome to Pouring Over Pages, a podcast of words and wine. I'm Alexa. And I'm Maritza. Let's get ready to pop some bottles and read some novels. Yay! Yay! So we are finally reunited for episode nine. Um, I'm sure you guys have noticed that we've been a little delayed, but a lot of life has happened and, you know, Maritza gave a very big gift this Christmas. So we'll we'll dive into that and give you guys a bit of an update. Yeah, and us being reunited is is virtual. This is the first time that we record via Zoom as opposed to being in the same room, which is unique and different and um uh, just a, a necessity of the times being that there's a cloud of covid waiting for us outside and neither one of us can nor should take that risk. So here we are just looking at each other through a screen. It feels like March, 2020 all over again, which I don't love, but I acknowledge, I acknowledge the progress. Yes. Yes. I'm glad there's technology to allow us to do this, even though we're apart. Yeah. Yeah, totally. No. And, and this is a book that, you know, we, we've been excited to talk about. I mean, we've been excited to, to chat. This is, um, this is a really, really great book that we both took a risk on that we took a chance on, Um, no pun intended there, given that the title of the book is A Season for Second Chances by Jenny Bayless. This is a book that I think is just such a perfect winter read. I'm not going to say holiday read because it's not really related to a particular holiday. It's not related. It's not a Christmas story or anything like that, but it's just a nice, warm, cozy read that touches on, I think, really important heavy topics. Again, just proving that point that we've been trying to to drill into everybody since we talked about Beach Read, which is just that these stories are full of really important themes and they're conversation starters for really, really heavy, you know, topics that we think are worth discussing um, at length and that we hope also inspire you guys to, to get involved in the conversation. But we also paired it with a great, delicious, amazing wine. Yeah. So um, this episode is sponsored by Cake Bread Cellars, and we are drinking their 2019 Merlot. So it was a perfect pairing for this read since Merlot gets you all warm and cozy inside and you're we're going to need it in the setting and just in the sentiment of this book. So I'll dive more into that later. Yeah, totally. No, I think it's it's the perfect pairing. It really is. It's a very cozy cozy read cozy wine I mean it's just it sort of sets sets the mood for spending time in your reading chair and diving into a really delicious and amazing book um I just want to give a quick mention as to why we chose it we definitely wanted to do something wintry Mm -hmm. something that would feel cozy we wanted to go for that and we wanted to have this episode ready in time for for winter, right? So the holidays may be over, but winter is definitely not, right? So we wanted something that was going to kind of take you to that place, especially for us, because we live in Miami and the weather doesn't change here. (laughs) There is no such thing really as winter. So this took us to a really nice snowy seaside town. And I read uh, Jenny Bayless's first book last year. Uh, It's called The 12 Dates of Christmas. And every year in December, I usually read four, five, six holiday books, Christmas-themed books, whatever. That's usually my tradition. So I read The 12 Dates of Christmas last year, absolutely loved it, was very excited to hear that she was going to have another book out for this year. And we both just took a chance on it. Neither one of us had read it. And I am I was very, you know, pleasantly, um, not, I guess not surprised, really, because her writing was so good. Um, for the 12 dates of Christmas. But what I love, and I guess this is the first topic that we should tackle. uh, I love that this is really the story about a woman who is looking to start over in her life. And she's not a 20 something, 30 something year old woman. This is a woman who is married for 20 years, whose marriage falls apart finally, because we find out that it was sort of brewing (laughs) for many, many years. But what I love is that this is the story about someone in their 40s starting over again. So immediately the message of the book is telling you that you have no reason 
to be afraid to bet on yourself, to give yourself a second chance really at any time, Mm -hmm. because betting on yourself is always the right option. Every single time you're never going to lose. If you say, you know what, fuck this, this doesn't serve me. It's time for me to go elsewhere. It's time for me to do something better for myself. And that's really what she did. Exactly. And I love it because, you know, a lot of these romance stories that we're told and we we look at are all about these young 20-something-year-olds finding their true love for the first time. And, you know, that young love kind of romance stories are, have been told and told time again. So it was really refreshing to have one centered around, you know, a character that was so, you know, put together and mature and just really, you know, figuring out her life at this stage for herself um, you know, a lot of us sometimes feel inadequate when we don't hit certain check marks at certain times in our life. These these lists that we make up that are such bullshit and and really have no use being there. So it was really refreshing and encouraging seeing her starting over, kicking ass, and really you know owning this chapter in her life and and building it the way she wanted to. Yeah. And we've, we've touched on that in previous episodes, this idea of this timeline that we're supposed to, that society tells us that we're supposed to be on and that we're supposed to do certain things by a certain time period. And that all of that is complete nonsense, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because inevitably a lot of that stuff falls apart um, as you, as you go through and you brave through life. But this story is, is interesting, I think, because it, it gives you the opportunity to root for a character that is unlike, as you mentioned, a large majority of the characters that we see in, in romance novels. And there's nothing wrong with those stories. I'm the first one to defend them, to enjoy them, to read them, to love them, and to talk about them. But I found this to be really refreshing for that reason. She lives uh, in a city with her husband, and they own this very successful restaurant together. And then she catches him cheating in a very humiliating, horrible way. We'll, we'll spare you the details so that you can re- re- read that part yourself. <laughs> and no spoilers um, because this happens very early. So we're not- exa- Yeah, exactly. Very early in the book. I mean, it's like the first, it's the first couple of pages, yeah. but it's just, you know, he essentially humiliates her, but there's this, there's this confession on her part where she admits that this is something that was going on, but it was out of sight. So it was out of her mind. And she felt that she- could just ignore it that she could just sort of continue to live her life have the successful restaurant work with him because everything else in her life was fine everything else in her life looked good they have two great kids they are successful they are happy um they have they have it all right they have they have everything that you could want in this sort of you know lovingly ordinary way. I don't say that I don't say that negatively. But there's something about that moment that and I think it's the humiliation that caused her to say, you know what? I'm out. I'm out. I gotta go. It was like the final straw that broke the camel's back. And what she decides to do is spend some time for herself. She picks up the paper, she sees an ad, and there's someone who's in need of someone to take care of a home for the winter season. Uh, a very cute uh, seaside uh, place called Saltwater Nook. I have a hard time envisioning this place in my head because it's like on a jagged, rocky kind of side of a mountain, but there's a beach. It's, it's, a I'm from Miami. I, I have a hard time. Yeah, I have a hard time. I'm used to just flat beaches. And so very, you know, very English countryside. Very cool. I, I would love to go to Saltwater Nook. Oh yeah, it sounds like a cute little place. It's the perfect place. It's where it's where we should go on on vacation we and should. record our next episode. <laughs> we need inspiration. We're recording there. We're in, we're in desperate need to get out of here for a little bit and go to a seaside town. But it's it's described really really beautifully. I think I I enjoy I enjoy the way that the that the author sort of paints this picture of this very adorable quaint seaside town. And the way that she starts to fit right in, right? She gets the job. She doesn't have to pay rent as long as she's keeping keeping up the place and making sure that everything is, you know, in working order. And she inevitably makes make some friends. She inevitably meets people in the town and starts a life of her own. And that life becomes, I think, happier 
than the life that she previously had because it wasn't centered on the success of her restaurant. It wasn't centered on any sort of um, monetary success. It was completely centered on her relationships with other people and using her talents as a chef to, to, to share that love with others. It, it felt so much more simple, so much more personal for her, right? I mean, it just felt so nice, so quaint. Yeah, the way she was describing um, her life before she moved to this town seemed very formulaic, very much like punching in and out of work almost. Like I get up and I go to our restaurant and Max is, you know, he's the face of it and he's always on and he's this and I do this role and then, you know, I keep myself busy throughout the whole day, finally get home and see my kids well when they were younger and then go to bed like it didn't seem like a life very fulfilled just very driven by her business and her relationship with Max which seemed almost kind of like an arrangement now at this point not even a real life to be lived right yeah exactly exactly and 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 the I like the way that the author created that very stark difference between the two lives through the character's voice like even just the way that she would talk about her new life it felt so honest. It felt like she was sort of trying to manage through all the strangeness of this new town, but doing it with wonder and, and happiness and and with a very curious eye. So that to me was really refreshing. I enjoyed the writing. And, and just to be clear, so Annie is our main character. Max is her horrible husband. Yeah. And this is, I mean, you hate, you hate. I love that I was receiving messages from you randomly just like while you're reading the book just like I hate Max I was like oh we're both gonna have a great conversation because we both hate this fucker hate he was an absolutely absolutely terrible 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 character and that brings me sort of to I think another really important element of this book and a conversation topic that is I think relatable sadly very relatable for a lot of people but it's this manipulation this very subtle manipulation that she was victim a victim to mm -hmm. and there's a quote in the book where you know it says she'd always told herself that his behavior wasn't abusive because he didn't hit her but deep down she knew that that was wrong max's psychological manipulation was insidious he might not leave bruises but that didn't mean that there weren't scars mm -hmm. and sadly this is this is a main i would say definitely a main topic within the book. This is an extremely manipulative character who was used to getting his way by charming his way back into her life. And you can tell that he does this with, with everyone, right? I mean, yeah. you start to envision him sort of doing this with the other women that he's you know, cheating on Annie with. And he was so manipulative when he would show up to Saltwater Nook and try and get her back and try and have conversations with her. And I that's why I really hated him. It's not just because he cheated. I mean, that's reason enough. But the way that he would try and manipulate her into somehow acting like he was the victim here, yeah. like he was the sad one. How dare you leave me? I'm so sad. I can't do this without you. I mean, it made me want to smack this fucker across the face. I mean, it was awful. He was a, to a totally terrible character. Terrible. And that's the worst kind. Because, like you said, if he cheated and was a douchebag, it's one thing. But then he'd try to weasel back in and win her both. It's like he wanted to have his cake and eat it too. He wanted all the side chicks, but he still wanted her. And he just wanted the, it was almost the comfort, really. Because at the end of it, he was sleeping around with all these women and was pretty much a business partner with her. They didn't really have much of a relationship, it seemed. So it, he's just a piece of shit and I hate him and I want to burn him because, you know, he kind of represents that person, that, you know, significant other that we've all had over time that does the same shit and yeah. tries to, you know, butter you up and is doing shitty shit on the side. And it just yeah. got to me. <laughs> yeah, no, a hundred percent. I mean, that's why I said it's sadly really relatable because a person who apologizes, but does not change their behavior someone who's merely manipulating you right unfortunately sometimes we learn that lesson the hard way or we learn it a little late but that's that's the reality that's the reality is that people are always it's human nature people are always going to take as much as they possibly can and this is a character that i think 
really encompassed that idea really, really well. And I think that, that, you know, a lot of readers are going to, are going to read this book and they're going to say, oh, I know someone exactly like that. I dated someone exactly like that. And it's, and it sucks. It absolutely sucks because something like that shouldn't be so relatable, but it's, it's the reality. Yeah. It's the reality. And, and, and Max had, there was, there was a moment when, yeah, when he came to Saltwater Nook and he was trying to act helpful, right. And he was trying to act like he wanted to be there and, and, and help her with her new endeavor. And it just, it made my skin crawl. It made my skin crawl because you know that what he's doing is manipulating her in the worst possible way. Because a moment that she, let's say she would have said yes, then that's a point for Max. That's something he's going to throw at her later, right? Like I started to project a lot of my own experiences onto this book and onto Max while I was reading it inevitably, because I think that character was written so well. We don't mm. see him too much. We don't deal with him too much. But I think the author did a really good job of plugging him into the story just enough for all of us to be like, man, I know exactly what this guy is about. No, it was great. It was a great character writing. And yeah, we we both hate him a ton. And, and she did her job by writing him in that way. Just every bit of him show. I hated every time he showed up, every time he called her. And the worst part was, well, that, well, that's bad too. But then I'd hate on top of it all, all the, the flattery and trying to win her back. He froze all her credit cards and bank accounts that was joint. So it's not like it's his money. It's both of their shared money. So there, there the man goes again, trying to decide for the woman what's right and, and taking ownership over what's both of theirs as his. It just pissed me the fuck off so bad. <laughs> A hundred percent that, oh God, that pissed me off so much because that takes a while to resolve too, yes. right? Like she's struggling. She's trying to figure out what she's going to do, how she's going to pay for her life all because he froze the accounts. And, and his answer every time was, oh, I just, I panicked. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know. Get the fuck out of here. That, God, that annoyed me to no end, to absolutely no end. But she does, she does mention, I think that like, what's really cool about Annie is that she's having this revelation through the book and being very open and honest about how she realizes that this guy is absolute trash. And there's a moment where she says, I'm just about sick of men telling me how life is or what they think my thoughts on a subject are. And I think everyone, (laughs) every woman I know can relate to that. I mean, the amount of times that men explain things to me without me asking, the amount of times that men tell me what I'm supposed to think or how things are. And I'm supposed to sort of nod and, you know, because a nice girl doesn't argue a nice girl just nods and smiles and, and learns. Right. Yeah. Uh, unbelievably frustrating. And she touches on that. And I appreciated that because I think that, you know, you look, you look at the book season for second chances, you have this very sweet cover. You can tell it's a cozy, happy winter read, and you don't realize how much depth there is until you open it up and you're pleasantly surprised. And the relatability factor is to me so high. I think especially because of that quote, that one stuck to me because I was like, God, this happens to me all the time. When you're a woman in a professional environment, the amount of times that men just explain things to you for the sake of explaining them when you did not ask is one of the most frustrating things that I deal with. I mean, regularly. I mean, I think we all do. (laughs) Oh, the mansplaining, just, you know, living among the the world, the patriarchal world that we live in and dealing with that. So, but luckily throughout her time there, she had a, a nice group of women that she never had before. She, she even said it herself when she left Max that she didn't have a best friend or or female friend to to run to and kind of confide in and find comfort in she didn't have any of that so when she did find this little group of hers and started her own book club it it was very sweet and and I love the dynamics there and how they all were on the same page with the mansplaining and the women owning their shit and being sexually free just all these things that they would touch upon I was like yes this is what she needed the whole time maybe she would have left her toxic ass marriage before had she had this support system 100% and I think that that is probably the other major theme in the book is 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 the power and the importance of female friendship and what that means to each individual person I mean 
every one of those characters was written, I think, really brilliantly. I loved how kind of brash Mava was. She was just kind of like harsh and honest, but but awesome. You know, yeah. I, I found her really likable. And Gemma is just this sweet, I want to help. You know, Susan is just like this random person that ends up in her life because of one kind gesture early on and they build this really really wonderful friendship so each one of them I think had such a different personality such a different way about them that when they came together it was really magical and Mm -hmm. I think that that's a really good example for for female friendship in general I think when you're younger you're unfortunately taught to find other people like you or we tend to gravitate towards people who are like us or think like us or look like us And I love that this particular group of women was so different and that what held them together was common values, common interests. I mean, this book club sounds like an absolute hoot. Yeah. Uh, I love that what they, what they were really doing was providing support for each other, whether they realized it or not. And it, it just set, I think the perfect example. I'm hoping that young women pick up this book and realize that that's the kind of friendship circle that you want you want a small group of really supportive, intelligent women who make you smarter and stronger through example, through conversation. I loved them. I think Mava was my favorite because I just loved how brash she was. I thought she was brilliant. Yeah. And she was, um, she was slightly older, I think, right. Than the rest of the group. Um, yeah, so it was a nice, yeah. Like you said, it was a nice balance. Mava was hilarious. This this brash older woman who gave no fucks and said what was on her mind. It was unapologetically herself, which was super refreshing. All of them were, were fun. And, and Susan was, you know, unexpectedly joined in very well and just meshed well. It just shows you that you could find friendship and, and that female friendship in the most unexpected places and, and really band together. And that sometimes you need new friends and sometimes you know old friends become new friends again and just shows how just the power of true bonds and connections and relationship and core values yeah and and i think i think you're right i think one of the main reasons why these friends get introduced when she's already living in saltwater nook is to kind of make that point that maybe had she had that sort of support system she hadn't she wouldn't have made the mistakes that she made or 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 she would have but would have at least had a support system to back her or or would have helped her through it had she chosen to leave. Part of the reason why people don't change their circumstances is because they don't feel that they have the support or the resources to take on that change. And that's where female friendship does play an enormous role because a lot of that change is emotional. A lot of that support is emotional. So, you know, I think that they, the author just did a really great job of, of creating that, that sphere around Annie, that support system. And her her sons are also a really great support system. I love that these are adult boys who are aware of their dad's, you know, jackassery and support their mother and support her choice to bet on herself and to move on and do something different with her life and to try something new because she owes it to herself, right? So she has a lot of people surrounding her. And And one of the characters that I definitely want to unpack a little bit and talk about, because I found this character to be really fascinating and a a kind of strange addition to the book, but I also do understand why he was included, is Alfred, the, the homeless man. This is a character that doesn't have a home, for the most part, sleeps in the cave, right, down by the bay, and will essentially do odd jobs for meals or to be able to, you know, sleep in, uh, in this case, he was sleeping in, in Annie's, um, like the cafe, right. Before it was, before it was renovated. And then even then when it was renovated and she would leave hot food for him and all of that, but you know, she, she obviously has to warm up to the idea, but I'm kind of cutting to the chase of that description, (laughs) but he's a really interesting character in that he's the sort of representation of trauma in the book, right? He, he chooses not to have a home um, or he chooses not to go to a shelter or seek refuge because of some sort of trauma in his past. And he has a traumatic incident. There's a very dramatic scene towards the end of the book that I definitely don't want to spoil for, for the reader, but he's a character that I think teaches us and shows us that we all have 
the capacity to show compassion to people that we do not understand because he's a difficult character to understand. It's difficult to understand his choices. It's difficult to understand his, his, his trauma, his past. And yet everyone in the town bands together to do what they can to provide him with support, with food, with a place to stay. I, what is your take on him? I didn't understand him until so late in the book. Yeah. At first he feels um, particularly random in that, in that, town, yeah. that setting. Um, the little run-ins Annie has with him at first are, you know, startling and interesting, but that he really grows on you and you really find that he's the fabric of the town really taking all these odd jobs. And I, yes, I felt that it was, you know, trauma and just a different spin on it I guess and then it's also kind of makes you think about homelessness and how that's dealt with in society and how so many people look down on them Annie was super kind and giving as much you know as most of the town was and so it just leads to more of our our talks on capitalism and how America is, you know. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, to me, poverty is 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 just proof that policy has failed. That's really the only thing that poverty is. It's a reflection of bad policy or failed policy. Poverty doesn't need to exist. Um, you know, there, there are two belief systems. There's the belief system that there aren't enough resources and that we need to be conservative with those resources, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's the belief system that there are plenty of resources. They just need to be distributed properly. I happen to be of the latter. And I think that people who are and who believe and who understand that there's plenty to go around, a character like Alfred is, is, is tough to swallow because, you know, you see the humanity in him and you remember that every single person that is out there that is struggling is a story, is a full human being with dignity and with a story and with a life and with loved ones. And, and it, and I think that, you know, again, the author did a really good job of, of, of framing this character within the narrative at first. Yeah. He felt random. And I thought, where's, where is this going to go? But that also, I think speaks to our internalized capitalism and us wondering why this character is worthy of being included. I mean, I had to sort of unlearn that as I read this book I was like why am I questioning the importance of this character merely because he's not like the other townspeople oh that's right because that's what I've been taught my whole life isn't that sad exactly so sad and towards the end of the book we we dive deeper into his backstory and how others would like him to be living and then you know we we kind of see his healing process evolving as as Annie's healing like many of the characters in the book are healing so it it was refreshing to to finally see him at the end and just understand the why of him and, and yeah. how he fit in yeah and 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 what I love because and 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 I think this conversation reflects it and it naturally reflected it which is great is that as much as this is a, a really wonderful kind in a way love story it's not the central plot of the book. This, the plot of the book is completely centered around Annie, her decisions to let go of her past, to start a new life, to bet on herself, to give herself a second chance. And it, and it really has nothing to do with the love interest that appears in, in the book. And that's John. And I, I, I really, really like him as a character. I think he's yeah. lovely and wonderful and caring and fantastic. But what I love is that I don't have that much to say about him because the book is centered on her. I appreciate that. I appreciate that this is a romance novel with practically no steam and is really just centered around her journey. And I think that that's what makes the book so special. It's very different from The 12 Dates of Christmas where there is a little bit more steam and the title alone tells you that she's going on 12 dates, <laughs> you know, <laughs> during the Christmas season. Uh, you know, it has, it has a different sort of um, goal, right? But this book is, is the opposite of that. And I appreciated that because it's, it's as refreshing to me to read about a woman who is going through her own story and who is working out her own problems than it is to read a, a fairy tale. I think that that is a fairy tale, 
actually. I think that her finding herself ending up in saltwater nook, making this life for herself. I think that that's the fairy tale. The fairy tale doesn't, in, doesn't always involve a man. It doesn't always involve a love interest. And I think that that's a really important message. I think this book would have been just as good if she didn't end up with John, if he had turned out to be a great friend. I, I'm not upset that they got together. I think it's great, but I just think the author did such a good job at proving that point, it could have gone either way for me. Yeah, no, it, it's a story that could clearly stand on its own and isn't supported by this love interest. Yes, he's there. Yes, we get great descriptions of him and their interactions, but he's not integral to the book in that way. That it, So I loved it too. And, and I love their banter. I thought they were cute and witty. And they're not the most likely couple at first and and if you read the book you'll see why they're actually repulsed by each other's behaviors at first so which always makes for for a fun romance that back and forth snarky ass banter I know I love that I love that and I and I like that what the author was doing there was I at least I think playing with that trope of like enemies to lovers yeah. that sometimes we see in so many books right and so many rom-coms and movies and stuff but here she's just she's just peppering it in. It's not the whole book. Yeah. It's not even it's not even a big it's 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 tiny. It's just literally like a little boop, like a little peppering yeah. in of a very cute trope and playing with that and being very playful, I think, with the story. But he was you're absolutely right. He was not an integral part of the book or an integral part of her life. And that is reflective of any other woman you ever speak of. You know, the man is not integral to their life. I, I wholeheartedly believe that. So I think it's important. I think this book is important. I'm not just going to say that I enjoyed the book. I think the book is important. I think the message is important. And I think the way it's written makes it entertaining and fun and kind. But it's peppered with incredibly important nuggets of wisdom and conversation starters. And, and it turned out, I think, to be a really, really great book for for this episode and 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 generally for for us to touch on topics that we hadn't really had a chance to to discuss specifically starting over at any age betting on yourself manipulation within a relationship things like that i mean it just goes to show these are all you know these books really have the potential to bring up incredibly unique and new topics of conversation the more you keep reading the more of an opportunity you have to have these types of conversations. Yeah. And I think this also um, highlights what we said in, I want to say, episode two of, of Beach Read, that rom-coms are deep and, and they are full of, of actual substance and they're not just fluff and butterflies and unicorns and rainbows that they actually do have powerful message. And this is one of them. And now that we're talking about John, I also realized that he might just, I mean, if he wasn't, you know, if they didn't end up the way that they did, he might have just been written in there to be a complete stark difference from Max to show that she could, if she wanted a man, could have one that, yeah. you know, doesn't charm her pants off and, you know, you think is marriage worthy or whatever. He, now that I think about it, he was the complete opposite of Max and that totally worked for her. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not a charmer right? Because he was just hella honest. I think you're right. I think he was, he was the ideal foil. Yeah, He was just totally. the perfect guy to be like, that's, that's what you had. That's what you left behind. This is a different opportunity. This is a different way of, of looking at someone and thinking, maybe this is what's important to me. Maybe yeah. these are the type of people that I want to surround myself with. Maybe if I do want a partner, maybe this is the kind of partner that I would look for. So you're right. I mean, I think he was, a, he was a great foil. And I, I found him very likable, even yeah. when they didn't like each other. Uh, I appreciated his, his, his caring for his aunt, who's the owner of Saltwater Nook and had asked Annie to, to look over, you know, to, to look it over for the season. I appreciated how much he cared about her, how much he cared about the town. And there's also so much that you learn about a person based on how other people react to their, you know, to their presence when they, when they arrive from a long absence, you know, the whole town, Hey, how are you? We're so happy to see you. You know, you knew this was a good character from the very beginning, despite them clashing because everyone was happy to see the guy. 
I mean, it's, it's hard to argue, you know, and these are, these are all like kind, loving families that support each other through what sounds like a very harsh winter, Yeah, you know? So the love for each other, I, I also thought was really well-written. Yeah. It was such a sweet community. I, you know, we don't see that these days. I feel the same kind of small town vibes where every family knows each other and they're supporting each other and looking out for each other even there's there were so many instances in the novel where you know Annie was super busy in her cafe and someone would just step into the register and help her or you know help her with some celebration it was just very feel-good moment of community that I don't think you know we're so individualistic these days in our society and it was just refreshing to read and and see the good in people again in that way I feel so disheartened most of the time so it was nice totally and I'm and I'm glad you mentioned how individualistic we are because that's also a subset of capitalist thought and I've said this before and I and I believe that this is incredibly important, but that sort of harsh individualism is the cornerstone of American capitalism and American conservatism, that you really have to only look out for yourself. And if you only look out for yourself and you you know, think about your freedom and what you want to do, then everything else works out. Hate to break it to you, but that's definitely not how it works, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> wouldn't that be nice? You just care about yourself. Everything else falls into place. Um, it's nonsense, right? We all know that it's nonsense. I think even people who say that know that it's nonsense, and the pandemic is uh, is 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 proof of that, right? I I tell people all the time, and you you and I have had this conversation a thousand times. We've mentioned it here before, right? We're vaccinated, boosted. We do it, sure. We do it for ourselves. I sure as hell don't want to get sick. I I you know this, and I brag about it in the most annoying way. I never get sick. It's been like five years since I had a cold. I don't get sick. <laughs> So when this whole thing started, I was like, oh, no, 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 it's not going to get me. Absolutely not. Vaccine boosted, all that shit, right? Outrun it. I mean, yeah, outrun it. And then the other thing is, my main point is that I don't do it for me. I do it for everybody else. And I think that if more people thought that way, we would be in a better place. I'm I'm vaxxed and boosted for you for my friends, for my family, so that I don't bring it home, so that I don't get someone else sick because you don't know other people's circumstances, right? And this book, this community aspect that you just mentioned, like this lack of like individualism was refreshing. I feel like I feel like this town would have done a really great job during the pandemic. Oh <laughs> yeah. They would have brought over soup if you're sick. Stay away six feet apart. They all would have gotten the vaccine immediately. They they probably they would, would have taken care of each other. They would have all they yeah. would have known that whatever happened to one happened to all. And when we lose that mentality, when we lose that small town mentality, even when we live in a big city, right? Like we do, we live not only in a big city, but in a city that I think is very individualistic and. Mm-hmm. And when you forget that, you tend to act like an asshole, right? That's just that's just yeah. that's just what happens, you know. We have to be honest with 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 how things go. But you know, I I think it's important. I think it's an important message. The way that this community was written, I think you're absolutely right. They were they were tight knit. They were the ideal, and that ideal is actually not impossible to achieve. It's actually common. Yeah. You find it in certain places. You find it where in places like small towns, because in small towns, you have no choice but to be faced with people's uh, humanity, right? That person who lives across the street isn't just some person who lives across the street that in an abstract way is a neighbor. No, that's Johnny. And he goes to UM. And you know what I mean? Like you, you're forced to understand these people on a, on a richer level. And the more that we do that, the better off we'll be. And I also want to stress that even if you don't have the opportunity to do that, don't doubt that their story is as important, as relevant as yours, because that's how we take care of each other as a community. Yeah. I love this book. I loved it. It was such a good, it was such a good book. It, I loved it. And and the cover says, says it properly, a gorgeous, cozy winter read. I cannot recommend this book enough. It's a little longer um, I'm sure you noticed than, than the sort of average romance novel. I've, I've got it here with me. It's about 430 pages, right? Yes, exactly 430 pages. And 
It doesn't feel like it though. No, the chapters are short. So you kind of breeze through the chapters quickly. I mean, I, I'm a fast reader and I was like, damn, this is a long book. But but once you pick it up, you just kind of quickly, yeah, you know, yeah, page it's, through it's it. It's written, I think, to be binged, uh, which, which I appreciated yeah, very much. But, you know, I'm I'm glad. I'm glad that we went this route. I'm glad we didn't go the Christmas route. Maybe, maybe next year, but this just felt like the right book. It felt, I, I love the title, A Season for Second Chances. That can be really anytime, any place for anyone. And what I love about this is that this isn't about Annie giving a second chance to Max. It's not about Annie giving a second chance to anybody else. It's about Annie giving herself a second chance, betting on herself. And this book is proof that anybody can do that at any time. Incredibly positive. That's a great message. And I figured, well, let's be Let's be honest here. Let's we're we're gonna discuss the wine now, which normally we have the opportunity to uh, cheers, chin chin, drink it together. I had to drink this prior to recording the episode because I knew that I would not be in a state where I would be able to drink any alcohol. I can't. I actually don't know when I'll be able to drink alcohol again. I'm gonna have to ask at my at my checkup. But as I'm sure some of you, some of our listeners uh noticed or saw you know we were falling behind a little bit on getting this episode out and I was like okay maybe we should say something we should give our reasons for why we're our reasons for why we're a little slower (laughs) than than we usually are because we're pretty good about like getting two episodes out per month like we're we're pretty we're pretty diligent and I was like okay yeah well I don't want them to think we don't care and I don't want people to think that we're suddenly not reading. I don't want anyone to think I'm ever not reading. That would, that would just be false and that'd be blasphemy. So yeah, I I was like, Alexa, should we just kind of say some things? Should Should we just come clean about, you know, what's been going on? And so basically I had surgery a couple of now, a couple of weeks ago, right? December 14th. And I gave the I think greatest Christmas gift I've ever given. It's kind of awkward to peak at such a young age. I'll never be able to do anything cooler than what I just did at the age of 31. But I did donate my kidney to my big brother who definitely needed it more than I did. So even I think in my in my voice, you can tell that I'm not, I don't have the same sort of energy that maybe people are used to. I'm still running a little bit on fumes, right? I think it's, it's day 13 post-op and, uh, you know, it's amazing how your body, it really does have to sort of recalibrate itself, you know, like day one, I was like, oh, okay, I can walk. I can, I think I can make it to the bathroom. Okay, great. And it's just like a couple feet. Fantastic. And then after that, it's like, okay, you know what? I think I can make it to the living room. You know, like every day you're just like walking a little bit more, a little bit more and a little bit more until, you know, now I can pretty much walk anywhere. I still walk a little funny, but I can walk pretty long distance. But so what we didn't want, of course, was for us to, you know, fall back on, on recording these, because these are just as important for us, I think, as they are for our listeners and, and the book, you know, a season for second chance has sort of reflected a lot of what I had been thinking about, you know, thinking about what it means for me on a personal level to go through, you know, with the surgery, what that means for me, how that's a sort of second chance for me too, as much as it is for the recipient. I think it's a very different outlook on life that you gain from going through all of this, you know, in the grand scheme of things, you know, it's, it's a simple thing in the sense that, you know, like I said, I'm only 13 days post-op and I'm doing very well, you know, gone are the days that donating a kidney meant that you were in the hospital for a month, you know, like I was discharged in 24 hours, you know, so it's just incredible what modern medicine can do, but not even modern medicine could get us to record our podcast in time. So (laughs) it was, it was important that we, I think, put it out there and, and we prepared and, um, and I think it's I think it's great that we were able to to tackle this particular topic, you know, during this time, because I think for a lot of people, the holidays are a sort of season for second chances. I think about, you know, the families that maybe don't have a great relationship, right? People who get together on, during the holidays and have to give each other a second chance to just spend time together. You know, like it's a, it's a time, I think, to reflect. And I think that maybe that's 
what I would like people to take from this episode, you know, is just that this is a book that allows you to reflect on what certain times of the year or certain opportunities can, can do for you and how you can use those ideas to bet on yourself, make a change, give someone a second chance. Sometimes that someone is you. And if it is, you know, you should, you should go for it. That would be, that would be my advice. And that's definitely, I think the message of the book. Definitely. No. And and now we're going to give a chance on this one. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm so excited. A cozy, luxurious, delicious wine that is oh so worthy of being paired with this book. Yes. I think it's super exciting. Yeah. So unfortunately she's not drinking, but I'm drinking tonight. <laughs> you, you sure are. I'm so jealous. <laughs> we're gonna pop so many bottles when when you're out of this when you when you're oh believe me as, as soon as i'm as soon as i'm cleared i'm coming over <laughs> um so like i mentioned earlier this is cake bread merlot 2019 and given the chili change in the seasons you know i thought a merlot was perfect for this book Annie settles into this little town kind of during the end of summer early fall and stays throughout the spring so there is plenty of cold freezing weather and this summer I stopped in Ireland I was visiting in-laws and we actually did visit some coastal beach beach air quote towns (laughs) beach to us but totally a beach to them and yeah I could picture it because I was there looking at yeah these cliffs and and these beaches that were just basically a bunch of jagged rocks near water and and lots of hills and mountains and so I could totally picture this town too well almost and felt it too in my bones because even though I went in summer it was still chilly I was still wearing you know long sleeve shirts and jackets it was just like just this wind beating at your face constantly so that's that's what disturbs me though if the cliffs of more count as a beach then I am very disappointed in what we consider a beach dude I totally think that's what they were going for Ugh, I'm such a snobby Miamian <laughs> Definitely. So I'm sure Annie, if given the chance, would be drinking this Merlot to keep warm during book club or or just, you know, on a night when she's chilling out on the couch with her cat. So yeah, and given saltwater's nook's proximity to the water, I just, you know, this this will warm me up for sure. And so a little history about the wine. Cake Bread Cellars is a top-tier winery in Napa Valley. It's very well known. If if anyone you know loves Napa, this is probably a wine for them. It's family-owned and operated since 1973. And I think another interesting parallel here with this wine is that it all started with Jack Cake Bread, who had, you know, four different careers before he landed into winemaking. And he started his winemaking legacy at the age of 43. So kind of starting his life again, like Annie did in her 40s and, and, you know, giving himself a, maybe not a second, maybe a fifth chance, but definitely reinventing himself and not settling for less. Originally, it started with a 22-acre property in Rutherford, and over the years, the family acquired um, additional vineyards throughout Napa Valley and the North Coast. Today, the winery owns 15 sites, totaling 560 vineyard acres in Carneros, Rutherford, Howell Mountain, Anderson Valley, and other places in Napa. So he really took this, this small passion project and made it into a major winemaking name in Napa Valley. And we, we've talked about climate change before. We've talked about sustainability and you know bettering the earth. So it's also important for me to pick wines that have sustainable practices in both the vineyard and the winery. So they've been a certified Napa green winery since 2008 and farm about 191 acres of certified Napa green land. And it's this program that pretty much promotes reducing energy, total waste and water use and encourages uh, recycling in all aspects of the winery operations. So I love when vineyards and wineries do this because it really shows that they're not only farming the land responsibly and really, you know, making a great product, but also are thinking ahead of the generations to come and the land to come and how they're going to do their part to help better the world. And about this wine, the Napa Valley Merlot fruit comes primarily from the Siskel Springs Estate Vineyard at the southern end of Napa Valley. 
This vintage in particular had a cooler growing conditions and lots of sunshine to ensure slow, even grape ripening. And this is really important because if it's too hot during the, the course of ripening time, the grapes will ripen too quickly and get that really jammy, overripe and kind of baked taste. So you don't want to get grapes that ripe too early or too late, just, just right. So this one fit within that frame and it's aged 17 months with 44% new French oak and 56% neutral oak. And we've talked about oak in the past and how that imparts different um, tasting notes to the wine. After I talked about that, let me, let me dive in. The smell and the tasting test. Uh, this wine has a really deep and, and strong aroma. There's a lot of black cherry, a lot of dark fruit that are complemented by um, some, some, there's floral, but there's also like kind of some spicy notes to it. It kind of, you feel it in, in the tip of your nose, a little tingly, but it smells really, really nice and, and warm and and rich. Then we're gonna taste it. Yeah, the the all the dark fruit like blackberries, black plum, a lot of you know black fruits um come into play. They're not like overcooked or baked like you know a longer or, or a ripening would be, but they're really well balanced. Um, there's there's nice tannins. Um, they're not like gritty they're not drying your mouth immediately but they're there they're really fine and, and delicate which I like and it does have a very strong finish you know it lingers and and has nice um some black cherry notes there's also some kind of like slight earthiness to it in the back like a very faint note of that it's really delicious and you could drink it now but it's definitely one of those bottles that you could hold and age for a few years. And when I get nice bottles like this that I know have um, some life to them, I enjoy buying one to try now and buying one to age. So I'll leave it in my little wine rack or my wine cooler with a note like drink, do not open until this time. And then um, I like to take it out and taste the difference between my notes because I write notes with every wine I drink practically, I'm kind of a nerd like that. Um, and it's just nice to see how time evolves a wine just like how time lets us evolve into different people <laughs> giving ourselves a second chance yes I mean I, I I love that this wine is really cozy yeah like I know that that's not a word that you use to describe wine formally but to me it's the type of wine that you know if you're going to curl up with a good book a blanket in your reading chair and just give yourself some really luxurious me time. This is a great accompaniment. And, you know, as, as I mentioned at the beginning, you know, the holidays may be over, but winter isn't right. So, you know, even though, even though here in Miami, it stays nice and, you know, nice and hot, <laughs> it's still, it's still a wine that, you know, just makes you feel cozy and luxurious and like yeah. you're treating yourself. I think it's a really great wine um, to, to take with you to a friend's house. You know, I think we, we, we try and touch on that because I think a lot of people ask, you know, like what, what should I take if I'm going to a dinner party and I want to impress somebody and I don't know much about wine. I don't really think you can go wrong with this. You know, I think this is, this is the type of wine that everyone's going to find something in it that they like, you know, it's a great quality wine. And, you know, I can't wait to just, just kind of, like I said, curl up and read a book and drink this. And it's, it's a great way to give yourself a little bit of love, yeah, I think. For sure. And I love that it's a Merlot. I feel, <laughs> I, I don't know if anyone, I of our listeners have watched the movie Sideways years ago, but there's an infamous line there that the, he's a, a wine writer and he's visiting all these vineyards in Napa and he just says not another fucking Merlot like and ever since then <laughs> there's been a stigma around Merlot and people don't give it the love it deserves and I just love this wine I think it's very cozy and you know everyone when you go to Napa you think oh big bold Napa cab and and they do have cabs cake bread does but um this Merlot is very it's bold but it's understated too it's it's lush but it's also cozy it it has all of these you know different faces to it 
that could please any palate. And, and I, it's really tasty. This bottle retails for about 65. So it's definitely a really nice gift to give to someone that you like. Yes. <laughs> this is a, a drive-by bottle kind of thing. Oh, I'm going to this house party. Let's bring this. No, right. it's, it, it, this is a gift that shows that you care. Right. You're taking it <laughs> to a nice dinner party where you actually enjoy the host's company. Yeah. Not yeah. like you said, some sort of random ass house party. This is definitely <laughs> because you're showing them that you care. And I think it's, you know, as you said, it's not even just because it's you know, 65, maybe a little bit more on the pricey side. I would say it's also because it's just a really well thought out. It feels very, it feels luxurious. I mean, it feels very kind, I think, to, to give this wine. So I think it was a great choice. And I especially love that anecdote that you mentioned that the founder started doing this in his forties, that this is a a sort of second chance, um, for him to have a a passion project that obviously turned out to be incredibly successful. So I love that parallel because it's not just that the wine is a perfect cozy wine for a cozy book, but it's also that the stories, you know, of, of each kind of of the main characters of both echo each other in a really wonderful way. Yeah, no, it's perfect. I, I love that. And and again, it's never too late to bet on yourself and take a chance. I mean, you hate something, change it. If you, you know, don't ever feel like you're a failure because you didn't take that chance, you know, just go for it. Don't feel bad. Yeah. One of the most important things to, to know, to remember, if there's one thing to take from this book is that there's really no such thing as starting from scratch. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in that. Even if you make a complete career change, there's no such thing as starting from scratch because you take with you all the wisdom and everything that you learned all the way up until now with you, right? So this idea of starting from scratch is is kind of nonsense, right? Yeah. Everyone should have the opportunity to ditch what doesn't work for them, what doesn't serve them, and start over, start fresh. And and I think this is a good message, you know, at any time of year. But now that we're approaching the new year, it's a good way to start, you know, your year. It's a good mentality to have as you kind of dust off the the, the computer that we probably haven't been using over the holidays and get back into work and whatever it is that we're that we're supposed to tackle in in the coming year, remember that none of it is really all that serious. It's really a matter of doing the best that you can. And when you do that, things tend to serve you a little better. Definitely. Well, this has been a lovely book. It's such a perfect segue, like you're saying, into um, the new year and, and bringing that new mentality. Why don't you give us a quick little tip since we're like, did one episode in December. Just a little quick little nugget for everyone about the next book. I mean, episode 10 is also, I think, very much about putting yourself in a honest and positive mentality. I think it's also a very good way to start the year. It's a tougher book. It's the first nonfiction book that we take on for a pop, if I'm not mistaken. This is going to be the first time that we read something well, actually, no. Episode one was definitely memoir. Yeah, memoir. I'm like, yeah, it's like a different kind of, yeah, non. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's, it's very different, and and our readers will see why, our listeners will see why. But this is a really, really magical book that I read a couple of years ago. And when I say a magical book, that in and of itself is a hint. And we're going to be paying tribute to an incredible author who sadly passed away very recently, uh, just a couple of days ago. We had already chosen to do this book. So we're we're excited to to pay tribute to her and to have a I think a really, really important conversation about grief, about loss, about starting over and putting ourselves in the headspace for a new year that I hope is inspiring and and positive despite our setbacks and despite our suffering. So it's, it's going to be a little bit of a tougher read for some people, but I can absolutely guarantee you it is worth taking the time to dive into it. I think I, I think I gave enough you did. Uh, hints there. There are quite a few hints there. I think I, I know specifically who will get those hints from our listener. <laughs> The real nerds. The nerds. Yeah. Um, but thank you guys so much again for listening. We're, we're so happy to bring this episode to you uh, in this new format, hopefully a temporary format, because I, I do love ching-chinging with Maritza every time we record these. But 
Thank you for listening. Um, if you love our podcast, then definitely hit that follow on Instagram at Pouring Over Pages podcast um if you've seen our great merch head on over to our etsy shop and get yourself a hat or a sweater it's not too late to give uh the gift to those you love even though it's after christmas and hanukkah i mean just you know be generous all year round with our merch and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter to get all the latest and greatest on all things pop pod and i think i think i did the whole spiel here I think you did the whole spiel and we, we even hinted at the next book. So I think we are, we're, we're ready to go. And I think you can now enjoy the rest of your cake bread. Yes. Thank you guys. And uh, cheers to the next episode. Cheers. Thanks everybody. Bye.